The Holy Gospel for this Sunday comes from Luke chapter 17. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was going through the region between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten lepers approached him. Keeping their distance, they called out, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were made clean. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He prostrated himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus asked, Were not ten made clean? But the other nine, where are they? Was none of them found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then Jesus said to him, Get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Dear friends in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Creator and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. In the Jewish tradition, there is a practice of saying blessings. Each blessing begins in exactly the same way with a particular Hebrew phrase, Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam, which means, Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe. By the way, there ends my memory of Hebrew from seminary, so don't be super impressed with that. After that beginning, you can bless almost anything. Bread, water, wine. There are blessings for pastries and fruit and vegetables, for your home and your family, for good news and bad news, for waking up in the morning and setting out on a journey. Based on a verse in the book of Deuteronomy, Judaism also has a practice of saying 100 of these blessings every day. And that's because long ago, rabbis read a, a particular verse in Deuteronomy, chapter 10, verse 12, which says this, Now Israel, what does God, your God, ask of you to walk in God, God's ways and serve God? The rabbis noticed that the Hebrew word for what, what does God ask of you, the Hebrew word for what is very similar to the Hebrew word for 100. And so they wondered, what if the verse could also be read, Now Israel, a hundred does God ask of you? In other words, what if God wants is for us to say a hundred blessings every single day? Well, if you were going to bless a hundred things every day, you had better get started early. You are already behind, by the way. You would also better be creative. Before long, you're going to have to bless your shoelaces and your morning coffee, although that is a blessing in and of itself, your dog's leash, your morning commute, the extra Kleenex you found in your pocket, the beam of sunshine you felt on your face in the afternoon, the smile someone gave you at a coffee shop, the penny you found on the sidewalk, and the quiet hush of darkness in those moments before you fall asleep. Finding a hundred times to do this will keep you busy all day long. Lest you think that the Jewish tradition has a corner on the blessing business, it turns out the Lutherans are also pretty good at it. In our official liturgical resources, our hymnals and prayer books, we have blessings of all kinds. Some for the momentous chapters in life, like the birth of a child, or preparing for surgery, or marriages, or health care decisions, 
for our dying and in our grief. In worship, we bless things all the time. We bless the offering as it's brought forward. We bless the beginning of this time that we're sharing together. We bless the bread and the wine. And we even speak God's blessing to each other as a final benediction before we go back into our daily lives. While we're here, we might bless other things too, like quilts and graduating seniors and people moving away and babies being baptized and confirmation teenagers and Sunday school volunteers and even today, dogs and cats and the occasional picture of a fish. Last week, I went to Pacific Lutheran University to hear Lutheran pastor Nadia Boltz-Weber speak about her new book called Shameless, in which she writes about the ways that, that Christian teaching, the church's teaching on human sexuality has so often harmed and shamed people, and what resources our scripture and our traditions have as we seek a healthier, more flourishing and divine ethic for human sexuality. It was a great evening, but a great conversation, and then she closed the time with a blessing that she had written for that night, for that gathering. But before she spoke the blessing, she paused for a minute, and she said, when people are not part of a faith community, I sometimes wonder, where do they get their blessings from? That question stuck with me. Maybe because today in this community we are blessing all kinds of things from the blessings we do regularly, the bread and the wine and the offering and each other to the extras like the quilts and the pets. What is all this blessing about? Why do we do this? Does blessing something make it holy? Or was it maybe holy in the first place? Why is this such an important practice? Why should we do it? And what does the practice of blessing things do to us? You might have noticed that so far, almost all the things I have talked about blessing are good things. Quilts, pets, bread and wine, shoelaces, sunshine, teenagers, smiles, extra pennies, and darkness. That's exactly how our culture tends to use the idea of blessing. Something is a blessing because it's good. So when someone says to us, I feel so blessed, you can probably guess that they're saying something is going well. A good surprise has landed in their lap. Or maybe they're taking a moment to look at what is good in their life, even in the midst of difficulties and hardship. That's a fine place to begin. But if we're not careful, we might begin to mix up the idea of blessing with the idea of reward. Because when we talk about blessing things that are good and when we feel good, we might begin to feel less blessed when things are not good. And then we think if we work harder to be good or do the right thing or feel good, then we'll feel blessed again. And pretty quickly, we can slip into imagining that the blessing we feel is the one we earned, the one we deserve. And of course, the terrible flip side of that is the pain that comes from feeling you must no longer deserve it 
but you don't feel so blessed. The biblical practice of blessing things, however, works quite differently. Now, you and I have just bunched, uh, blessed a bunch of quilts today, all these quilts in this room, regardless of who exactly made them or whether you particularly like the color combination of the quilt in front of you. In fact, I bet it never occurred to you that you could withhold a blessing from a quilt for any reason whatsoever. And just like the quilts, we will bless every single pet that comes to the front steps this morning or afternoon, whether they are barking or meowing or sleeping or skeptical or just made a mess on the carpet at home before they came here. I bet it never occurred to you that you could withhold a blessing from any of them, even the carpet messers. Because something deep down in us knows that God's blessing is abundant and extravagant, and it's not ours to withhold anyway. Maybe that's why the one man, one of the ten men who were healed, turns around in today's gospel reading. Because it turns out that the act of blessing, both giving it and receiving it, changes the way you see things, even yourself. I mean, say you're really trying to say a hundred blessings a day. You are going to have to pay attention to your life in a whole new way. You can't sleepwalk your way through a day if you want to get anywhere near a hundred. You'll need every excuse you can find to say a blessing or a thank you or a word of praise. And I suspect that if you do it long enough, that practice changes you. So that once a Samaritan man realizes what Jesus' blessing has done to him, he can't help it. Did you notice that his turning around to say thank you to Jesus is directly disobeying what Jesus told him to do? But he can't stop. He comes back because he received a blessing and he needs to give one back. And it turns out that doing that changes him yet again. All ten of those men with leprosy were healed. They were all cleansed and cured and sent home. But the one who came back, it says, receives another blessing. Your faith has made you well. Or in other words, your faith has made you whole. One of my favorite experiences of blessing things was years ago at Holden Village when a group of us marched outside the village and stood in a big kind of open area and blessed the spot we were standing on, which happened to be the newly remodeled sewage drain field for the village. Let me tell you, there is no official Lutheran book of worship prayer for that. If you look up sewage system in the index of your hymnal, no hymns, not a single one. But the village pastor was prepared and he prayed about the hard work of the folks who created the intricacy of the system and the blessing of our human bodies and the ways in which this new drain field would help keep the village healthy and well. And before you know it, what started out feeling slightly ridiculous and silly ended up 
as a truly holy and beautiful moment. Because once you start blessing things, it's hard to stop. Quilts and pets and communion bread and confirmation students seem like pretty logical things to bless, but before you know it, you're blessing sewage fields and bus lines and hospital waiting rooms and crying babies. That group of motorcycle riders who managed to drive up this street almost every single morning without fail during worship, or the leaves of the trees that in this season are teaching us the beauty of letting things go or the man standing by the freeway exit asking for money. Pretty soon you're just a fool for blessing things. And as you do it, you might begin to breathe words of blessing into other moments too. Moments of grief or fear or confusion or worry, of waiting anxiously for the test results or meeting with your child's teacher or bringing up a touchy subject with your mother or waiting on hold with the IT department again. It's not that there aren't hard moments and some of them are terribly scary. But that somehow blessing things teaches us to expect the presence of God everywhere. In quilts and babies, sure. But in love, also in sorrow, in anger, and expectation, in shoelaces and communion bread, in the healing of a man with leprosy, and the wholeness we experience when we welcome the stranger. Blessing things teaches us that we are not making those things holy. We are being opened to the holiness that was always there in every stitch, in every breath, waiting for us all along. Poet Mary Oliver once wrote a simple list of what she called instructions for living a life. She had three instructions. Pay attention. Be astonished. Tell about it. And maybe while you're at it, say a blessing for it too. Amen.